and welcome to the Bunkerzilla Film Roar here at Bunkerzilla UK, your place for all the latest movie news and reviews. In this case at the moment, we are looking at the movies on all those great digital streaming platforms out there. I'm one of your hosts, Ian Bolton, and I'm joined as always by my cinematic partner in crime, Christian R. Allen. Hello, Christian. Hello, sexy internet listeners. Hello, 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 hello indeed. How are we doing, Christian? Very good. I'm currently on season two of my Simpsons binge. Okay. And I've just watched Bart the Daredevil, which is the moment the series stops being good and starts being great. Specifically when Homer falls down the gorge. Yeah. I watched it with my partner and she couldn't quite remember how she she dipped into it a bit as a child, but she never really watched it. Mm. And I I was laughing all the way for the episode because I knew what was about to happen. And Mm. I'm sure that must have been pretty annoying. Like a, I mean, just before the skateboard's about to go down, I turn to Michaela and her face drops because she knows what's happening and it's just so beautiful. Everything about that is perfect. That's that's the only significant thing that's happened to me in the last week is just watching that one episode of The Simpsons. I mean, I've been kind of going through the Uncharted games. So I've played... I've never played, I've never played them. I've heard good things. They're really, they are really good sort of like Hollywood-style uh, blockbuster adventure games in a way. So the, um, the films have been in development hell for ages, haven't they? Well, yeah, I mean, they actually, the thing is, uh, they were ready to do day one of shooting of the Uncharted movie with Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. And then coronavirus came in and shut down the production. <laughs> so they were so they were literally getting ready to roll the cameras. Because oh, no. um, uh, I think Tom Holland uh, discussed this with uh, Justin Bieber on like, an Instagram chat thing or something like that. Tom um, Holland but- and Justin Bieber are mates. Apparently, I don't know. Yeah. But no, that's that's why I heard about the whole thing of oh yeah, we're ready to go, and then they shut us down for health and safety issues. I can imagine like, Justin Bieber and Tom Holland being like a shoulder angel and shoulder devil. I'll, I'll let you decide which one's which. It's pretty obvious, to be honest. Boss. <laughs> Holland's yeah, so the angel, like, obviously. Tom, Tom 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 Holland's been is like his uh, his Spider Man kind of. Goofiness. It'll be trampolining yeah. on your shoulder back and yeah. forth, obviously. And, and and then on the right side, you've got Justin Bieber going, What do you mean? I, <laughs> I don't want to do this. Yeah, yeah. Stop it. Well, you better do this or you're going to do that. Who are you, what, what are you singing? I'm trying to sing Justin Bieber, just not badly. I mean, what's I, I'm not that familiar with his repertoire, to be honest. I know that, Baby. That, uh, well, that, well that, that, that was when he was really young. Baby. But no, he don't. His songs have got a bit better. I mean, I never, I never enjoyed him when he was a young, young artist. Is that one they did? Was it? Did he do it with Dead Mouse? They um, you know the one I'm talking about. Just going on tangent to music for a second. What is everyone's obsession of putting like dubstep strings into things now? It, it's a... <laughs> and in other news, old man yells at cloud. <laughs> it's like I liked the music before they started adding the strings and the drop the bass at the same time. <laughs> but when will the bass drop be in? I don't know. We'll have to check on the counter. The counter says soon, soon. very soon. Soon the bass will drop. <laughs> but yes, rolling back to Uncharted. Um, no, they're they're really good games. I think the the fact is the cast well as. Uh, They've got a good cast as well, and the story's quite engaging. I mean, they, they do go through a lot of, of standard Hollywood tropes, but the fact is, it's it's it, the way they kind of structure the games and make all these set pieces happen are really, really good. I mean, at the start of the second game, you're open by dangling off the edge of a train, nice. off a cliff. So it, t- so it takes its lead very much from Indiana Jones. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Uncharted 2 definitely feels a lot like um, uh, Ready of the Lost Ark. Especially because they have a whole level that's basically you taking out cars as they go around this mountain. That's that's obviously lifted from Raiders of the Lost Ark. But it's so much fun to play because you're kind of jumping from truck to truck before it explodes and then sort of taking out bad guys and then carrying on your journey right down to the last car. It's quite good fun. But yeah, um, you can get the whole whole games now on uh, like PlayStation Hits for like 11 quid a pop. So oh, nice. Because I, I know they've got the original Fraser remastered collection yeah so yeah i was going yeah, so, to jump into that that's that's been my attitude lately i realized the last generation of games games i just totally ignored i don't know why probably because i was poor um <laughs> so um i've been um just 
picking up remastered collections on PS4 Switch. Yeah, that's the yeah that's the the version I'm playing for at the moment. So basically, I I got through Uncharted one, took a break, and then went right up number two, played Uncharted two, and I've just started Uncharted three, which opens in a pub in London, and you get into a bar fight. Hilarious. Excellent, very <laughs> good, authentic. Good. Very authentic, very authentic. Where's my eels and jelly? Or was it jelly and eels? I don't know. I'm not a cockney. There's a, there's a lot of, hello, sunshine, punch. <laughs> little bit wee, little bit woo, I'm a geezer. Little bit wee. <laughs> big box, little box, big box, little box. <laughs> big fish, big fish, small fish, cardboard box. Is that it? I'm not sure. I'm going I, space I, references I, now. I, have, I haven't watched Kevin and Perry in years. Kevin, oh, I'm thinking. Oh yeah, Kevin spaced. and Perry go large. Pe- oh yeah, Kevin and Perry. Gosh, I, I you know I need to rewatch Kevin and Perry go large because I don't know if it is an enjoyable bad film or just a bad film. I've I vaguely remember it was like the first film I could properly see as a fifteen year old. <laughs> that was that was your adult movie. That was my adult movie. There is there is the screen free situation, but I'll talk about that another day. It's okay, kind of, okay. Right. It's not like well, I could have I did see a fifty minute, but I also may have very cheekily saw an eighteen rated film when <gasps> I was a lot younger. That's outrageous behaviour, and I hope the uh, police immediately turn up and throw you in in well, cinema jail. In cinema jail, your punishment: watch nativity films, the ones with <laughs> David Tennant. They're not supposed. They're not even out before Christmas. Oh, I thought you were talking about films about the nativity, you know, like... The oh, that ones. too. Well, that too, probably, because you'll probably have a lot of Hallmark TV movies that are kind of themed on it. It's like every, every time Christmas movies come around. Every time Christmas comes around, you have that channel of just Christmas movies. I know. And it's like, what person in their right mind sits there and watches a Christmas movie every, all day? Some people are obsessed. There was, um, I was in St. Andrews in Scotland a few months ago, and there's, there was a twenty, there was a three, six, five christmas shop um in one of the little shopping centers and um yeah I, I went in and asked how business is and apparently they're doing fine so yeah if you're in the saint andrews area <laughs> seek out christmas shop they have, they have a christmas shop at um when i went on holiday disneyland paris they had a sorry sorry not, a... not saint andrews sterling sterling <laughs> sterling yeah oh don't, don't do that Oh, I, I'm, yeah. We keep going <laughs> off on tangents. My <laughs> ethnic heritage there, like. Oh, I, I, I'll, I'll quickly. I mean, obviously, if you want to cut this for for time, Chris, you're more than welcome to. But I was in Edinburgh years and years ago with friends, and I was waiting to get a, a train back over towards Glasgow because I was staying in Edinburgh for a few days, and I was going to go back over to Glasgow and stay with some mutual friends of ours. Um, and basically, we were. I was waiting for the train. And the train before was just about to go. And this uh, elderly lady charges down the platform. <laughs> she gets to one set of train doors. She digs her fingers into it. And you pulls her, her might of all might right open and shouts, Is this the train to Sterling? <laughs> <laughs> she repeats that she shouts that several times and then gets on the train. I look up on the board. It's not going anywhere near Sterling. That's amazing. That's only in Scotland would that happen. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty like, much. <laughs> it's like, would you, would you want to get into a fight with this geriatric lady? No, no, she'd smash no. you out. No, she was going for Sterling and nothing else. You'd be crapping your teeth for days. If you, if you basically, if you suggested anything else that wasn't Sterling, it was no punch. <laughs> I'm amazed that when she found out it wasn't for Sterling, that she just didn't push the train into the right direction she needed to go. Just wait at the next station. She'll get out. She'll go around towards the front or the back of the train and go, this is the train to Sterling now. Well, if no one's going to do it, I might as well take charge. (laughs) Only Uh, sensible course of action here, isn't it? uh, But yes, uh, that's been our fun little ramble for the start of the episode. episode. (laughs) Wasn't that great rambling? Wasn't that great ramble? (laughs) (laughs) It's the only rambling we can do at the moment inside. Yeah. Yeah, I look how it's still sunny. Yeah. Right, it is all about movies here at the Film Raw, and this week it's two films from Netflix. First up, it is the Chris Hemsworth actioner Extraction. Here's a clip. This is an extraction. So who the players? Biggest drug lord in India versus biggest drug lord in Bangladesh. <laughs> Some mythic shit, huh? It's a kidnapping. Drug lord's son. Clock's running at 16 hours. Proof of life as of six hours ago.
Right, Extraction, starring Chris Hemsworth and directed by a stunt uh, stuntman and uh, fight your choreographer um, Sam Hargrave. Uh, and this is his feature film debut. Uh, so basically the story is Chris Hemsworth plays Tyler Rake, a fearless black market mercenary who embarks on his most deadly extraction mission of his career when he's enlisted to rescue the kidnapped son of an imprisoned international crime lord in India. Uh, so basically it's kind of got to get the kid out. Um, but as all good sort of simple, simple uh, mercenary missions do, uh, it goes wrong very, very quickly. And Shock. poor... And poor Tyler and his uh, and the the kid he is rescuing uh, called Ovi, uh, and uh, yes, poor Hemsworth is uh, is pretty much fighting for his life across India with uh, this kid in tow. So yeah, this is also produced by the Russos, who obviously are responsible for Avengers and uh, War well, and Endgame. Joe Russo wrote it. Yes. Uh, so yeah, because um, yeah, because on the surface like. I think if I was to read that synopsis, it's kind of like, oh, very generic action. But I think a lot of things kind of appealed to me going just to, to watch this. I think the first thing is the setting. I mean, India is quite a unique setting for yeah. uh, an action film. And um, um, some, some of the opening cinematography is quite breathtaking. Those strong reds on the, the, oh, yeah. like the uh, urban uh, landscape presented, it did, it did suck me in. Mm. And, and yeah, it's kind of like something a bit different for Hemsworth. Obviously, he's been doing four for, for nearly a decade now. Yeah, sure. 2000 and... No, longer than... No, 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 2010, wasn't it? 2010, so yeah. He's yeah, been yeah. doing four for about a decade. I think the thing is, a lot of people don't necessarily think about what uh, Hemsworth could do post four when he actually finishes his uh, stint with Marvel. Um, and obviously, there's been bits and pieces. He's been like... He, they tried Men in Black International last year, which wasn't good. Just, uh, I've done the review on the Bunkzilla website. It was not a good film, um, and there, there were good intentions behind the film, but it is it is very very lazy writing. And I think the chemistry he was supposed to have with Te- uh, Tessa Thompson from For Ragnarok didn't necessarily come over into Men in Black, and unfortunately, it feels more like a problem with the script rather than a problem with the acting. So yeah, uh, so yeah, he's had he's had bits like Men in Black, but I think Extraction is kind of the first time you kind of can look at Chris Hemsworth and go, yeah, if you went down the action route, you'd probably be okay for a couple more years. Yeah, I mean, he's a solid choice. I mean, like, he has the physique for it, um, mm. certainly. Um, and, you know, it's very, very much thinking back of the sort of the 80s heyday of action movies. He's, he's, he oh, seems yeah. more Stallone than Schwarzenegger. Um, oh, yeah. But um, I, I, I've had... I just didn't really find it a particularly engaging movie, to be honest. I don't know if it's just because it felt a bit too derivative of a number of um, um, post-taken action movies. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of the reviews that I've been seeing for it have been very uh, have basically said the action sequences and Hemsworth are good. Yeah, everything I else mean, around it, it, it is on, not necessarily strong. Oh, sorry, go on. Uh, um, so yeah, so basically they're saying the action sequences and and Hemsworth's presence makes it worth watchable because everything else is fairly generic and by the numbers and they are right they are right i'm not going to sit here and say because i'm because i mentioned on my facebook after i watched it this is like higher tier netflix films and that's only because this is a f- the first time i've watched a netflix film that kind of i would think i would actually would like to have seen this one in the cinema because mm. i think it would have been i think it probably would have add more intensity to some of the action sequences and also it feels more the first for like most of the Netflix films, sometimes they come across and they look, they do look kind of cheap. Yes, there are one or two visual effects that, yeah, do look kind of clearly they are visual effects. But I think the rest of it, I would have, I would have been fine seeing this in a cinema. Yeah, I mean, I doubt I'd, I, I doubt I'd ever seek this film out again. Um, mm. It definitely, definitely, you're right. I think it does have a more of a cinematic feel to it than some of the other sort of action orientated. Um, um, Netflix spectaculars. Mm. Um, although I haven't seen Six Underground, and I probably won't, to be honest, because it looked that film looked like it would melt my brain. Uh. <laughs> I have seen Six Underground. It's pretty much Michael Bay as you expect. Just they just he just does a film for Netflix. I'm just going to point the camera at all these explosions and hope for the best. We'll it, fix it in the edit. 
it's not as it's not as bad as some of the Transformers films. So it, it, I I think I gave it a passable three star rating. On, oh, fair enough. Fair on, enough. Uh, on so it's not, it's not going to be in the Criterion collection like Armageddon. No, 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 not at all. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I think one of the things I've noticed with action films lately is basically if you if it's directed by like a stunt person or stunt coordinator or like the action sequences come across amazing. Yeah. Because there is, there is um, the one. I think the one sequence that has got a lot of focus on on articles and interviews and stuff like that is an eleven minute sequence where we go from the initial extraction all the way through to. Um, oh no, not the initial extraction. It's the. Um, it's basically when uh, Tyler's uh, pickup has gone horribly wrong. His whole team's wiped out. Um, Spoiler. He, well, yeah, it's kind. Of, it's kind of. <laughs> it, it's it's signposted. So it's signposted. Well so yeah. Uh, so you got Tyler and Ovi going through, uh, trying to escape the person who's trying to wipe out the team. But then you're also going up against corrupt cops, and then you've got a SWAT team, and then and all, and it's like it just keeps building on intensity. So you're the way this sort of one, it becomes like a one take style action sequence, but you kind of move in and out between different parties. So you'll follow Hemsworth for a moment and then you'll move into the police starting to do their search and then Hemsworth and the police collide and then they move on. And it's it's quite an impressive... It's a very impressive sequence. I don't know. I found it a bit too... I, I, I found it took me out of the action because it, it, I could. I just spent the entire sequence thinking it's not... I mean, it's clearly... It's, it, it reminded me of... There's a similar sequence in Atomic Blonde um, yeah. towards the end where there's this, this false one tracking shot um, which I couldn't stand. I don't know if I'm just an outlier because a lot of pe- a lot of my uh, friends and peers they they all praise that sequence to high heavens. But um, I, I I find with these these um, these trick one track shots, I just find them a bit too clean and a bit too fluid. It's um, it's almost taking the wrong lessons from um, the the um, second and third board films. Um, so that sort of like I I. I've, um, yeah, I just found it a bit too smooth, and it was just speaking of video games again. It just it just felt like more of a video game than a movie, mm. and um, it just a That's bit fair. too sanitized. I mean, it's, it's my personal opinion, obviously, and it, it seems I see I'm seeing this kind of sequence more often. Um, mm. But there was a, there was a moment where um, um, Hemsworth pushes the the boy over a building, and the yeah. way the camera was framed, it was so painfully awkward the, the way it was it's obviously an artificial oh, image it, yeah and it was there was a few moments like that and i'm just it just halfway through i'm like i'm so bored i really don't care about this so you had a different experience i take it well yeah i mean for me it's kind of it i think i enjoyed it for the action's sake um because it feels like it's a it is a hybrid to me it feels like a hybrid of man on fire and john wick because some of the when it gets to some of the the more intense scrapes uh, face-to-face, it does feel more like John Wick in a way. But don't, uh, don't you watch this and wish you were watching John Wick instead? No. <laughs> no? No, no, it's, it's kind of... If John Wick... The way... The, the, the funny thing I, I look at is like John Wick's inspired action sequences to be a bit more inventive, I guess, or be a bit more kind of... Fantastic. Yeah, yeah and not necessarily go for like the old school Bourne because basically when Bourne when Bourne came out and you had you had the closeness of the fighting you had the camera shaking left to right and stuff like that to make you feel like oh I'm actually in the fight and all that, all that. everyone started doing that and some and some people did it poorly and some people did it okay the fact is if it wasn't Paul Greengrass you were pretty much screwed yeah <laughs> I, I agree with that actually <laughs> and and um and Obviously, John Wick's come along. It was very unassuming for the first one because many people thought, oh, this just looks like generic action-y. But then, obviously, people talk about the action sequence and talk about the fit of how... And it also, and again, it revitalised Keanu's career again after after Matrix. Um, so, obviously, a lot of films are, are trying it. And I think the, the interesting thing is, I think you can appreciate when it is a stunt coordinator doing this sort of stuff because... Uh, Sam Han- uh, Hargreave has worked on Atomic Blonde. He has worked. Oh, interesting. On, yeah, no, no, yeah. No, he was part of the no, Fight Choreography team. That. So, obviously, if they come from that sort of background of film work, 
they've got an idea of what the audience is probably going to engage with more from an action standpoint, not necessarily from an emotional standpoint. I was going to say, my, my, my main criticism of this film is I just didn't really care about anything. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, maybe, I maybe, mean, maybe, oh, sorry, go on. No, 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 I, I was going to agree with you on the, on the emotional stakes front. I mean, it's very, it's kind of, Chris Hemsworth give, tries his, go, does does his best stuff as he possibly can with the with the material of basically a grieving. Uh, yeah, I, grieving I think I think all the performances in the film are fine. Um, yeah. and there's nothing ex- exceptional throughout. But then again, the film isn't exactly demanding that from its performers. No, um, no. it's just um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I liked there was some. I mean, it was interesting moments. It, it definitely felt, felt like there was more more thought into this movie than some some of its um, some of the sort of similar dross we've gotten over the last oh, couple yeah, of years I, mean, I say last I couple mean, of years last couple of decades like, yeah. I, I found I found the subplot with the um, the Indian mob boss and his underlings quite interesting oh um, yes um, yeah I so, think if 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 one thing I can describe uh, talk, say about Extraction is it's not a pretty film and uh, no be, pre- be prepared for some shocking violence here and there uh, so that might again it's rated 18 in the UK so well, that would make of, sense. I mean, it's it, it's quite a bloody affair. Oh yeah, it is a very bloody affair. I mean, I mean, I think I, I think I may have to go back to the um one of the you know how we've talked about um I mean there's 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 been there's been obviously been violent and then there's being violent for the sake of a joke. Yeah. Um. So obviously, so there's a bit at the start of the when the extraction initially happens. And Chris Hemsworth is going to town on this sort of mini mob of enforcers in a in a very derelict house, and he takes one person down with a rake. <laughs> oh, it's horrible, isn't it? Yeah, and you don't know his surname until until later on in the film, and you sit there and just go, "Oh, for the love of," because <laughs> it's like when he goes says, "What's your name, Tyler?" and "What's your surname?" It's Rake. And I just, when I heard the rake, I said, oh my God, did we just, did we kill someone with a rake just for the joke of, uh, my surname's Rake, I have a rake, I'm going to rake you, in case we need it. <laughs> but yes, um, but no, it's not, it, yeah, Extraction's not a pretty film by any means, um, in terms of, of tone, in terms of, of violence. And um, I think it, I think it does. Uh, I think it sort of adds a bit to the maturity, I guess. But again, like you said, um, it is by the numbers. Yeah. Um, so if you're expecting something that is jaw-droppingly original, you are not going to find it here. But it's, I think ultimately it's a competently made action film that will serve its purpose for people who want, <clears throat> for people who want a little bit of an escapism, maybe on a Saturday night, Friday night at home during lockdown at the moment. Yeah, I, know, and, I mean, we're, we're, you know, I'd imagine I'd have enjoyed this more of a group of mates and a few beers. Yeah, like um, or single malt scotch. If I'm being more accurate, to be honest, um, <laughs> like, I think that like this, it feels more like a, you know, a fun party movie as opposed to anything to be really t- like. I don't know. I can't. I can't see this being on a, anyone seeking this film out in a year's time. To be honest, I think it mostly would be. No, I I imagine some people will probably go back to extraction to show off maybe one or two of the action sequences or fight. Things if they re- if they're really sort of diehard actuals, um, because when I when I was watching a lot of uh, Hong Kong Legend DVD release and stuff like that, and there were fight sequences that I just adored. When I had mates around, I'd be going, "Look at this fight scene! Look at how cool this fight scene is!" And it's like looking at things like um, it's like fight sequences like Kiss of the Dragon when Jet Li's taking on the twins in the police station at the end. Mm. It's just it's- I um I've I've been binging on some of the films at the moment. A bit of a tangent here, but um, eighty eight studios and Eureka films have been re-releasing a lot of these old Hong Kong legends Legend. titles yeah. on Blu-ray and I've been jumping back into them. I, I've started watching is it, is, um, Iron, I've watched Iron Monkey and Once Upon a Time in um, China by uh, Sun oh, yeah. Um and uh, the thing I realised watching these as an adult is very similar. I, I watch them for the set pieces but I'm not entirely mm. sure if I enjoy the plot. <laughs> like um, yeah. Iron Monkey, the plot is basically Chinese medicine is better than Western medicine. Mm. Have your have your have your ground up alligator, 
It's true. It's a piece of it's a piece of piece of nationalistic propaganda yeah. with incredible action sequences. So what I would probably do is just show people the bamboo scene fight at the end. <laughs> it's like, well, it's like um, well, it's like City Hunter as well. I know City. Oh, Hunters City is, Hunters uh, is dreadful apart from the action. <laughs> apart like, from the action, because I like I like the the jokey Street Fighter two fight sequence towards the end. That and then I also- is the most audacious piece of product placement in the history of cinema. Jackie Chan literally becomes a, is it Chun Li. Chun-Li, Blanka, and I think Ryu or Ken, one of the two. I mean, I, I've never felt those, you know, those strange feelings in my tummy for Jackie Chan before, but hey, you know, each to their own. But no, I think my, my favourite from Sea Hunter is the final final bit where he's going up against Richard Norton, who has his, like, his metal metal bar barriers or something like that. <laughs> or no, he's got his metal batons and stuff yes, like that. And, yes, And he just keeps hitting Jackie Chan repeatedly and Jackie Chan's just taking it in his stride, just kind of going, <laughs> going, ow, ooh, ee, ow, ow. <laughs> This is why Jackie Chan's the best because he's more than happy to be the play the fool. And, I, you get, and then you get The Rock and Jason Statham who are like in their contracts, no, we have to be impervious to all forms of physical assault. Oh no, it's also, it's also the, the, uh, the fast... It's like, yeah, remember that story about the Fast and uh, Furious franchise where certain actors had certain, yeah, they had certain requirements for their action sequences. They can't so lose, they can't be hurt. They're... It's like, uh, Vin needs to look as good as Dwayne. Dwayne was happy to take a couple of, of hits, but he still needed to win. Jason Statham, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually think that, that that's a disservice to them because if you look at if you look at Jackie Chan or those other things, mm. sort of his, his peers... Yeah, uh, they're more than happy to like. You're you're more engaged with them if they're losing. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm a bit of a tangent from extraction, but the the point is, yeah, yeah. There, there's some films where you just there are moments that elevate it. Me personally, yeah. there was no real secrets in this that I found particularly captivating. I thought there were better examples of these types of secrets in in other films. Uh, like okay. I said, I'd ra- I'd rather I'd rather watch Taken again or or Born Supremacy. Um, yeah supremacy ultimatum yes if you said taking two or three i would have come round southampton and i would have (laughs) you would have you would have broken government guidelines to slap me in the face and the police would have turned up and they're going oi mr bolton what are you doing and you'd have explained the situation entirely and they would have been okay okay fair Fair. (laughs) uh it's like i i am i'm still quite furious of how the taken franchise went downhill (laughs) <laughs> it's incredible because they, there is not a second in that first film that isn't incredibly captivating and in the second film it's almost immediately terrible yeah because the fact that, the thing is it's like the first one came out it's rated 15 in UK audiences and it will get it gets an uncut at 18 this is like one of it's like yeah it's a fairly generic action but because of uniqueness obviously Liam Neeson doing action for the first time a very streamlined sort of European plot and stuff like that it's per- it's like it's the perfect it's the perfect it's like the perfect little storm in a storm in a teacup yes side of things and then obviously it becomes a cult hit it becomes a big hit on home release and stuff like that so what does fox do we gotta make it for the kids <laughs> <laughs> so basically the film the first film is rated 18 the second film becomes a 12a well, it's, it's, what it's, it's, like, it's, it's like robocop you know the um, yeah. they, the um, producers realize that more kids were interested because they they'd watched the TV edit. <laughs> I remember watching RoboCop for the first time because I was a fan of the cartoon series as a kid. I was yeah. not prepared for that level of violence. <laughs> <laughs> I think my mum walked in during the acid scene and just threw the tape away. Oh dear! Yeah. Yeah, this, is the, this is the thing. It's kind of like, yeah, people people watched it because of the level of some like the well the maturity and the violence side of things. It doesn't necessarily mean, oh, because the kids are watching it, we've got to make it for the kids. It's like, no, no, keep it the same because the kids are still going to probably end up watching it because they find it cool. Like, you're not condoning that though, right? No. No? <laughs> but it is absolutely true because there's not a single person I know who didn't watch South Park and um, Bigger, Longer and Uncut when they were like either 10 or 11, myself included. For the benefit of <laughs> listeners, we're both raising our hands right now. <laughs> not that our parents allowed it. They did everything in their power to stop it happening. They just didn't have the power to stop it happening. happening. 
Yeah, the, it's a, it's probably for a, a conversation, like a, on, a, on a side conversation. Maybe someone like Trivial Times or something like that. Another show that we we both are involved with on Bunkerzilla UK. But maybe that's the thing. It's like what is so appealing about watching mm. watching stuff that is not suitable for us at that age. I mean, it's kind of like that whole. Yeah, well, there might be an element of it's the taboo, and also the the arrogance of like young teenagers yeah. of thinking they know better. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, I, I, it's weird. I, I generally was quite unfazed by a lot of these films. I, I was obsessed with the original Terminator movies when I was like ten, eleven. It yeah, didn't really uh, have a ne- detrimental impact. I mean, when I was younger, about thirteen, thirteen, fourteen, I was really into the Scream series, mm. and that was because because they were kind of like to me like extravagant murder mysteries. Yeah. Because that's that's what they were. Yeah, they were slasher films, but they weren't. I never. I <laughs> they're didn't Agatha Christie for the modern I, day. I didn't. No, they're Midsummer Murders for the US. Midsummer uh, Murders for the US. That's absolutely it perfect. Happened, <laughs> it's it. It happens in the same bloody town every time, apart from Free, which takes part in Hollywood. Uh, bit, bit of a tangent, but what is the population levels of uh, Midsummer right now? It must be in the negatives. It's like house prices are cheap. Yeah. <laughs> but going back well, to extraction. Why are the houses so cheap? Well, people get murdered on a weekly basis, and John Nettles is really annoyed about it. Midsummer <laughs> that every single murder is associated with a quirky cult esque club, like either a gang of photographers or like the chess club or something like all, that. All the, ba- all the baking society ba- is like, yes, I'm going yes. to have the best cake this year. No, you won't. Here's the axe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What a weird show. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, just, it's, you just yeah, watch, you watch Midsummer, and, you, and I don't, it's kind of like um, NCIS. You, you, it's a part of your brain that knows it's bad. It's not really a well-made show, but you kind of just click and go along with it. It's kind of like what's happening here? Oh, someone's being killed by a falling bell tower on a uh, boat. Tip, uh, tip, uh, typical Midsummer. <laughs> just, just, just before we go back into extraction, NCIS was originally called Naval NCIS. Yeah. Until it took a whole season before they realised that the N in NCIS stands for Navy. <laughs> what a but, show, man! What a show! It's, it's so bad. It's, it's um, been, that's been going longer than that's been going longer than CSI, hasn't it? Oh yeah, it, and it was. I think it's had more success in the ratings than. Um, oh CSI. yeah, and it's, and it's also had it had the LA spinoff of Chris O'Donnell and Ice Cube. Okay. No, no, Ice Cube, not Ice Cube. L Cool J. Yeah, because okay. I I didn't know that, and I'm never going to watch it. And Shane McMahon does a couple of guest star appearances in, Shane in Los Angeles. Yep. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. For the third time, Extraction. <laughs> what's your thoughts on Extraction, the film we're actually meant to be talking about? How do you sum up your feelings? And what's your star um, rating? I would say it is. It's a fairly. I think for most people, it'll be a watch once. Um, I think I I will probably would revisit this at some point. Maybe just to revisit an action sequence if I'm bored or something like that. Um, but other than that, yeah, I, I I know it's not original. I know it's not not jaw droppingly stunning stuff like that. I mean, to me, there are bits that I do like. I like the action sequences. I'm uh, but everything else. Yeah, you're right. There's not much emotion there. So. That in mind, I think the most I can pretty much give this is three stars. Yeah, I, I was there's points where I was thinking either a high two, but no, I, I think three is fair. Yeah, okay. three stars. Yep, extraction three stars now available on Netflix. Right, let's move over to the animated world with the Willoughbys. Here's a clip. All the Willoughby children ever wanted was to have a normal family. But their loving parents had no love left over for them. Hi, Mommy. They are creepy. Barnabies, will you stop? Our parents are the worst. Just think about how great our family could be if they were gone. How do you propose we discard of two insidious grown-ups? Easy. No! No, not there. There! So that's why the Willoughby children... We shall craft a dangerous adventure. ...are sending their parents on a trip to die for. Right, the Willoughby's Netflix animation, and it tells of the story of the Willoughby children, uh, four of them, who uh, who have really, really bad parents. <laughs> so, um, 
So they decide to try and rectify this by sending their parents on a holiday, which they think will hopefully make them orphans, so they are free to find <laughs> the perfect house, uh, the perfect household that will take them in. Um, but obviously, again, like most things, this doesn't go as planned because they get um, they get the uh, a nanny played by Maya, uh, Maya Rudolph coming to look after them, and the nanny opens their eyes a little bit to what is possible out there in the world. So it's. Um, it's a, it, it is a very quaint animation. Now, we were talking last episode in Babe about uh, family films that kind of are either they try to be original, they try to have their own self-identity, or they go off down the pop culture route and they'll bring in just random things that make no sense whatsoever. Uh, the Willoughby's, thankfully, is in the former here. Yes, absolutely. Uh, be- because uh, first things first, it's beautifully animated. Yeah, um... Um, and I'm not surprised it did when I was watching it it did remind me of um, the um, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs films and I, I found out the um, uh, Chris Pern the director was actually the director of the second film so ah, <laughs> that, that would go. make sense but um, yeah I do, I do love the sort of like increasing diversity of appearance in CGI animation I mean I was a bit mm. worried about 10 years ago that CGI movies would end up looking like these terrible um, these sort of like like, like you know, Robert Zemeckis is um, like um, Beowulf or The Polar Express. Oh, oh yes. It, it seemed for a while Hollywood was going down these awful hyper-realistic approach and Pixar were the only outliers. Um, yeah. That, that's not been the case at all. Um, we're, we're living in a kind of golden age of animation at the moment in terms mm. of just the animation. And the style is is beautiful it's very eccentric it's very quirky um it, it reminded me of a it, it felt like a colorful adams family in terms of art direction yes i haven't seen the new adams family oh I, I meant sorry i meant the the live action adams family I, I okay i haven't there okay. is an adams family animation that's just been released i believe but yeah that's with oscar isaac and charlie's throw on yeah I, I, but I, I it's not on stream things unfortunately I, I can't i can't judge because i haven't seen it myself but um, yeah um it, this, this was, the willoughby's remind me it, it basically like this CGI cross between the original Wallace and Gromit animations and the 90s Adams Family movies and mm. um, I, di- I did like it. it's quirky gothic flair to it um, it reminds me quite a lot of Studio Latka films like Coraline yes, yes. I, I, I did think of it it reminded me it's of Box Trolls more of the because um, especially when you look at the hair the hair has a very woolly nature to it to the willoughby children and it's like there's a weird there's a weird thing where the the where father played by martin shaw who basically has doesn't have a big flowing mustache like the ancestors of the willoughby's it's basically a very thin mustache but it can also grow sudden wool which is then taken up and made into a skull it's really weird that yeah. relationship Ma- mother and father it's i mean yeah it's very peculiar i'm not used to this in these kind of films <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, the um, the sexual tension between mother and father is just um, almost unbearable at times. I mean, it's yeah. even quirky the fact that their hair is clearly wool, and she's obsessed mm. with knitting. Um, I think she does nothing but knit throughout the duration of the movie. While pretty it, much, it's, yeah. it's knitting or petting one another. Um, they would be banned from any swimming pool. Uh, <laughs> and obviously they, 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 they utterly neglect their children because of in the story they, there's too much their love is too much for one another that they're incapable of showing any more for anyone else yeah um, there was an amusing scene where the, the eldest boy is, is it I think it's Tim uh, it's Tim played by Will Forte yes um, who I, I, I I'll start, I'll start talking about some of my criticisms of the movies in, in a bit but I did find Tim a bit grating because he, he's a bit yeah he's kind of a square um and he's obsessed he's like, with restoring his family's legacy because the Willoughby's were these incredible ex, um, explorers, really important figures in history who all had the ability to grow incredible moustaches. Um, and it's kind of, through Tim, the story seems to be about reclaiming legacy or or finding destiny in your past. Um, yeah. Which is interesting. And the, the, the barrier to that is their parents who not only neglect them, but they also neglect the family legacy. Probably why the yeah. father's incapable of growing a moustache. Yeah. I don't It kind of does ask the question is like, how did the father be that way? Because you've got all these sort of great Willoughby's. It must, something must have happened to bring about father's existence. Yeah, it's very strange. I wasn't entirely sure if mother and father were brother and sister. It. it I mean, they're identical in appearance. <laughs> it it did feel very incestuous. I don't know if that was a 
consciousness uh, I, 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 I didn't get or am I, I far I, too deep into this? I think you are reading far too deep. It's, it's a post Game of Thrones world, my friend. Yeah, true. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, 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 their their relationship is very wrong. We should say. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of the the going forward, I think that my my biggest gripe, although although it is a visual treat. And it is generally quite amusing, like like some of the yeah, Wilson Gromit esque I... moments where where they 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 find out the house is being put up for sale in order for the parents to fund their their trip across the world. They set up mm. all these crazy contraptions in order to literally punch out as many. It becomes of... Home Alone. Yeah, it's Home Alone. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, <laughs> but with more charm. Uh... Yeah. So oh I, God, I, the world's I, I most perfect family. <laughs> the world's most perfect family towards the end of that sequence. Yes, that was very good. But um, yeah, I, I, I think there, there are some problems with this film. Um, I think the biggest problem is it feels very much like it's adapted from a um, an illustrated children's book, and they haven't really mm. they haven't really thought about the the plot in terms of a film as a whole. It feels yeah. very episodic. Um, yes, it, I, I agree with that. Halfway through this, I thought this would be better as a Netflix limited series. series. Mm. Um, in a similar vein, they did, um, they produced um, the Limley Snicket series of unfortunate mm. events. I think this would have probably worked better like that because it jumped between so many desperate plot points that I kind of, I kind of felt a bit almost disassociated with the um, with the story. Um, yeah. Like when they jump to the candy factory and they have the subplot of the orphan and then the nanny comes along. It just feels it yeah. felt very clunky. Um mm. the, the the lead, Tim, is very annoying. Like I don't I didn't find him particularly endearing at all, which is frustrating. Because he, yeah. he's kind of the backbone of the story. Yeah, it's like it's like you were saying, he was like square, it's like it comes across as just too square. It's like obviously you can have these sort of square characters who start livening up and you there's always a, a sense of likability there's something that you would engage with them about um, yeah because I mean uh, the, not... the ultimate square character who's like charming and endearing is Lisa Simpson yeah and you know she um, and she has a warmth and empathy which helps ele- elevate her from what could mm. be quite an um, a um, what's the word I'm looking for Buzzkill. Um, alien. I was going to say alienating quality for the viewer, but buzz. Yeah, buzzkill works as well. Buzz Killington. Buzz Killington. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, that's the, you're right. Tim's a buzzkill, and mm. um, the the other the of uh, the other siblings, the twins and the the sister. Yeah, they're they're, they're interesting. They're quite quirky and fun. I mm. I felt I didn't feel that the voice direction was very good a lot of the times the, the, young, the, the young twins in particular I've really struggled to understand what they were saying yeah and, and the voice by the same person as well which is not very helpful no, no. so um, yeah there, there are technical moments where it felt flat um, mm. the, the, the sister character as well she was a bit of a Mary Sue for me they, they were just kind mm. of yeah, the characters were just kind of... And um, I, I'll let you talk in a moment, but my biggest gripe is the way it portrays um, um, the local authorities when they're dealing with orphans. Because it, it, uh, yeah. it basically I, turns them into the Gestapo. Yeah. yeah, Or just a bunch of, like, grey ancient smiths. Yeah. There are... There are a bit, I mean, there was it, there were some amusing jokes, like um, one of them, one of the agents. So all the agents look identical. Yeah, but one of them praises one of the characters that they're, they're tr- who's um, behaving uh, well, breaking the law mm. by saying like, "Oh, showing real personal development." <laughs> so like, she's taking initiative. I, I actually worked in an adoption agency, and that was actually quite a <laughs> it was quite a spot on moment. But the um, but I, I felt it sent a weird message that. Oh well, yeah, I mean it's it's like I think we were talking about this last week with Babe or last episode with Babe, uh, where. Being orphans, like kind of the big, the big family trope for some of these, it, some yes, of these it is, films. Yes, it's a huge trope in children's and, literature. And I don't know. It's just like it's given the the impression that, well, okay, okay, it's saying for most of us that being an orphan is bad. It's like, well, yeah, there's the tragic element to that, but there is there is future, there's opportunity and stuff like that. Yeah. And, it, and it, I think it, the way the film goes across it for most of it is kind of saying, no, you can't be an orphan. You must have a family. You have to have a family or you can't, you can't be an orphan or you don't have a family. It's like, 
Yeah, if that, it felt that's it, not right. It, that doesn't feel right. <laughs> no, no, just and, and I'd imagine, you know, if I was watching this as an orphan, I'd probably find this an incredibly upsetting movie. Yeah, I'll be honest. I wasn't necessarily looking forward to watching Willoughby's, but I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same honest. actually. Um, Definitely, the humour is good. The jokes do hit. Yeah, yeah. Even even with Ricky Gervais narrating as a cat, he was all right. I I found it a bit. It took a little. It took the whole movie for me to get used to him as the narrator. To be honest, but by the end of it, I was like, yeah, why not? Yeah, I just like very cat cat like behaviour. It's like, what's in the box? Can they empty the box? And can I sit in the box? <laughs> Cats do do that. I can confirm. They do, they, they do the, that, yeah. And uh, like my, my favourite voice acting was actually from Terry Crews, who plays this uh. bizarre Sergeant Pepper-esque... <laughs> no, sorry, not Sergeant Pepper-esque. Um, Yellow Submarine-esque. <laughs> wrong Beatles reference there. It's Yellow Submarine-esque Commander Melanoff, who um, is basically <laughs> Captain Candy. It's the best way to describe yeah. him. There's like I'm making the candy. <laughs> That's not a bad impersonation, actually. It's one of your good ones. Um, oh no, Terry, Terry Crews. Usually, if you put Terry Crews in the right role, he's always going to be fine. Oh, I mean, yeah. he was he replaced Mr. T and Clary had a chance of meatballs too. Because yeah, Mr. T didn't come back for the second one for some reason. Hmm. Probably contract. Um, but no, Terry Crews is always quite reliable. And I will say oh. that those sequences in his candy factory. Where they um, they're trying to chase this young orphan, which has somehow through various shenanigans found itself on all the various conveyor belts and contraptions with smashing hammers <laughs> and like and flamethrowers and galore and whatnot. Yeah, it's it's a very very good sequence, very cool. Mm. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, I, I I would be surprised if any young child, I say young, just children in general, not enjoying this movie. Yeah, I I can imagine kids being pretty happy with this i think it's it's like an hour and a half yeah. it's a nice length it's a nice length um yeah i mean the time the time flew when i watched it to be perfectly honest it was like but that's because i think i was enjoying it more than i thought i was going to so it's like oh yeah i'm into this now i'm into this yeah this is all a bit silly this is all a bit silly it's a bit weird and strange and yes <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah i i think in terms of some of i mean netflix animation the films i mean they had klaus last year which went very which went down very very well um so it looks like they they do have a, a sense of trying to find um interesting ways to do animation in terms of animation films i think my my main gripe of netflix in terms of animation is when they've been busy with a lot of anime and their anime uh series tend to have very poor uh, CGI animation. Right, I'm not, so, I'm not so familiar I, with the genre to be honest. Um, it's kind of like it looks 2D. It should be 2D, but they kind of move around. It's like um, it's like something from Rooster Teeth, like say uh, Ruby. Oh, okay, yeah, so, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that animation style. I mean, something, something. Yeah, that's that's the thing. So where sometimes when it's always animation i'm a little bit wary of what netflix can do but their their big hollywood animation stuff at the moment like willoughby's like klaus and that have been have been really really good really strong so it's kind of like a nice sort of positive in that sense no no uh, that's only a good thing and uh, like like yeah. i say I'm, i mean as, I, although i have i think this film is flawed and there are problems of it it still uh, it represents a good trend and i, I like this um this I like the fact that there are so many um, animated features available which all look and feel very different. Mm. Yeah, indeed. So, a star rating. You get to go first this time round. I was going to give it... I was torn between three and four, but I think I'm going to stick with three stars. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think three's fair. I mean, it's like, I enjoyed it. Um, would I watch it again? Probably not. Mm. But I think for what it sets out to do and, and for its core audience, I think it's it's probably one of the better shots you can find on Netflix at the moment. So yeah, three stars. So this episode has been a free star day. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Okay, so that's the films for this episode. What are you going to talk about next, Christian? Um, coming to Netflix on the 1st of May in the UK is the, the cult classic David Bowie movie Labyrinth. Oh God! <laughs> that is my pick. Okay, that's fine. I mean, I've seen Labyrinth before, but it's like the 
Cod piece, man. Cod piece. <laughs> the problem with the cod piece is every time I watch the film in a new format, from VHS to DVD to Blu-ray, it gets more high res. I wonder if Netflix are going to do the 4K presentation of it. Well, that's what. That's one of the reasons why I was interested in. Because um... a lot of so, some of the Sony stuff that they've been bringing on lately onto Netflix, like uh, Talladega Nights and uh, stuff like that, have been 4K presentations. So maybe if it's 4K, that'd be cool. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like I, I, I've i seen Labyrinth. Um, I don't remember much about Labyrinth. I think the last time I watched it was when it was a pancake night many years ago down in Southampton with our good friend Keith Copping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, okay, so you're going with Labyrinth. Well, I'm going I'm going to challenge you to a game of basketball with Space Jam. Oh. <laughs> which is currently still in the top 10 stuff of Netflix at time of recording. Has it just, come, has it just been released on Netflix? <laughs> it, it came out uh, a couple of days ago. Right. <laughs> and, it's, and it's there. Yeah, a sequel is on the way at some point. Really? <laughs> With LeBron James. Yeah, they've been filming that. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's like it's not like it's been 20 years or something. <laughs> and can I just confirm before we, we finish the episode, Bill Murray did win the Oscar for his performance in this, right? <laughs> no. Well, that's interesting. You haven't watched Labyrinth in a stupid amount of time, and I haven't watched Space Jam in a stupid amount of time. Let's see if these two children's movies actually hold up in the year 2020 this is going to be a very interesting episode next time i'm genuinely i'm genuinely quite interested about how i'm going to respond to space jam because i loved that as a kid but i haven't watched it since i was 10 11 sound yeah the soundtrack the soundtrack's really memorable for me so you've got Monstars, head them high, head them high, head them high, whoa, head them low, head them low. And then you've got that, everybody get up, it's time to slam now. Well, I, I don't feel like I need to watch the film. <laughs> Four stars, well, can, or, done. Or, there's, or there's, there's seals fly like an eagle, or then you have um, R. Kelly's I Believe I Can Fly. Oh, that's interesting. Because that's where the that's where the that's where the that song came from. But no, because obviously the R. Kelly is... of. Um become an incredibly problematic individual yeah um i'd be yeah. interested to see if the song remains in the cut because it plays quite a seminal role in the film i i think the film i think the song stays in the film to oh, be honest that's interesting yeah right i, w- then, I will watch this film and a few pennies will flow their way to r kelly oh dear <laughs> oh well oh well Anyway, anyway, that is bringing us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Let us know your thoughts on the films by contacting us via email. And you can do so at contact at bunkerzilla.co.uk. Don't forget, you can also listen to me and Christian in Trivial Titans. Also available on all good podcast channel, uh, channels with our good friend Jason Freeman. But until next time, we must say goodbye. I've been Ian Bolton and I've been joined by Christian R. Allen. Goodbye. Keep it cinematic. Stay safe. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.